Hello and welcome to uh, Season 2, Episode 30, uh, our last episode of Season 2. Uh, welcome to Black Lennox. I'm so thrilled to be introducing this person I've gotten to interview several times, Norman Hector, also known as Normani. Um, we are going to get into his story today as uh, the current only Black Drag Queen in New Brunswick. Um, and if you're listening to this, make sure you follow on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Threads. If you it exists, we probably have it. Um, we're so excited to jump into this conversation. Yeah. So let's Don't get forget. Into it. Don't forget. Comment, subscribe, and, and yes. like and follow. Hello, hello, Norman. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. I'm so excited. So I, uh, we had a whole preliminary conversation because I've gotten to interview you for CBC, for Buy Blacks. You came and visited. So I am thrilled to know your full story. Um, and I'm so excited to have you as our finale. Also, I mean, we're putting this up during Pride Month. Um, and so I'm uh, for New Brunswick, at least. And I'm super excited that we get to have some additional queer representation as I'm, yes. you know, carrying that torch all alone. Yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. Yes, Clinton? No, nothing. You are. I, I can't help you. There. <laughs> um, so I guess we'll start at the beginning, Norman. Tell us a, a bit more about, about you, your upbringing, growing up in St. John, um, and what that was like for you. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for having me on today. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. And I'm always thrilled to tell my story and hopefully kind of motivate and inspire other people that think that they can't do something. So I was born and brought up in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, grew up in uh, the South End um, and come from a huge family. We come from, I, my, I mean, I have eight brothers and sisters um, and they're all spread out all over, like all over the United States and Canada. But I stayed in New Brunswick. I didn't want to leave. Um, and I kind of, you know, made my home um, in New Brunswick. So this is where I reside now in St. John, New Brunswick. Love it. I am married to a wonderful man. We just celebrated 30 years in February, and um, hopefully we'll celebrate another 30 <laughs> if, I, if I don't drive him crazy. <laughs> I certainly think you probably will. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> Congratulations on your, on your 30th. Um, so spread out all over Canada and the States, or maybe just the States. Uh, and is your heritage, are you one of the, the, the folks born in St. John who has like the lineage of hundreds of years? Did your family immigrate there over the past few generations? Okay. So you're... yeah. Yeah. So um, my uncle, who's my mother's brother was Joseph Drummond. Um, he was a civil rights oh, wow. leader. Um, mm -hmm. He was the first black man to go to Ottawa and, uh, you know, march in parliament, but he's done some other great things. He's passed since. And my aunt, so my uncle, who was my mother's brother, was a black civil rights leader in Canada. My aunt on my father's side was a black civil rights leader in the United States. So we all kind of just came together and I watched them growing up, you know, and I kind of thought, wow, my family's really kind of different. You know, they bring so much heritage to the table. So my aunt, um, she was, her name was Constance, Connie Timberlake, Dr. Timberlake. She kind of did our whole kind of roots of where we came from, where our family came from, and just how proud we should be is being Black Canadians. Mm -hmm. 
That's amazing. amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, Blockbuster Cinema, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> I really like that history. I think that that's great. Um, and I'm curious, just because I already, I get to already know all of the, the good tidbits of your story. Because um, we got to talk a little bit about Policy 713 before mm-hmm. they had finally made all of the in my opinion, abhorrent decisions that they made. Mm-hmm. Um, we got to talk a little bit about like the realities of your upbringing as a as a gay black mm-hmm. youth in St. John in your schooling. And I'm just wondering if you'd be willing to share a little bit of what those realities were like in St. John back in the, I'll call it back in the day without giving it to timeline when that was. But well, um, you know, like? yeah, you know, um, Hillary, I, I spoke about I spoke about this the other day because I was talking to my husband about, because somebody brought up the show Roots. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever heard about Roots with LeVar Burton. You've heard about Roots. I, so, it was like forced upon me at the age of 12 by my white mother. We are watching the movie version. And then I think coincidentally the, that next summer I went to my dad's and he was like, well, we're watching the show as a family. Both parents, independent of speaking of each other, were like, it is time. You must watch Roots right. to understand who you are. <laughs> so, so Roots was kind of a, a good thing and a bad thing for me going to school because, as you know, it was a miniseries, and maybe you don't know, but it was a miniseries that was on every night through the week. Um, and I watched it from start to finish. I was young. I still watched it from start to finish because that was something that our mother and, and our father wanted us to do. So we watched it, and I watched it, but... Um, as I was learning about how black people were treated, I remember going to school and being called names, you know, because they got names from that. I remember walking mm. into one class and somebody calling me Toby um, because Toby was the main character. Um, and yeah. they thought it was funny. This, this white person thought it was funny. Um, I also remember, you know, the comments about um, the names that were called and, and people would say that just freely in school. Um, the N-word, right? The N word, the C word, you know, um, all of those, all of those words that bring a lot of pain to us. Um, So even though we were learning, um, I would say, and I'm not putting, I'm not painting every, you know, white person with the same brush, but I can tell you that as a young person, as a young white person, they saw that as another vehicle to take names and put them out there. was the exact opposite intent of a, a series like that right, uh, right and you know i will say and i think you know this that the, the kids still do say that in schools nowadays in 2023 in st maybe i don't know if it's in st john but in in moncton in fredericton definitely in rural areas uh, we hear reports about like it happening all the time um, you know it's, it's in, in as you know hillary I, I do a lot of speaking across new brunswick and, and across canada and I'm trying to make sure, because this is the one thing that I want to resonate with people. Because of what I went through growing up, and now listen, I had a strong mother and father. I mean, my mother was, my mother was the strength. I also had strong brothers and sisters. But when you grow up black, queer, okay, still not knowing your full identity, and you're still searching, you really don't know which way to turn. You're being called the N-word, you're being called the F word, meaning, you know, the, the other word that is derogatory towards the queer community. And you really don't know which way to turn, you know? So for me, I mean, I was, I was kind of just trying to survive, you know, growing up. And as, as this whole policy 713 was discussed, you know, I want it so bad for my generation 
to come out and speak about what it was like for them going to school and the things they didn't get. I didn't play sports, not because I didn't know how, but because I didn't feel comfortable joining any sports. Um, I missed out on my prom because I knew that I didn't want to go because A, I was queer, B, I was black, and I knew I might get bullied, you know? So when you've got those two things up against you, you miss out on a lot in school. And you know what? I'm watching different shows now and they're kind of making me emotional. Um, I'm watching, a I just finished watching a show um, and it was about two young boys that fell in love in school and they're talking about their journey um, as they go through high school. And I just think of the things I missed because of the fear factor, because I was afraid to live. And I was afraid to live because I didn't have the support, you know, that I so desperately needed. Out of curiosity, is it Heartstopper? 100%. Every queer person I know has talked to me about like crying through mm -hmm. watching that and just feeling so emotional. And I haven't seen it, so I can't like fully, fully relate. But I, from what I understand, every, like a lot of my friends and a lot of the people in the community find the show just so like, just so sad. Because um, it resonates. It resonates yeah. with us. It resonates with people like myself and my husband. Um, because I said to my husband as we finished watching the series, I think of the things I didn't do that I should have done, but I was afraid to do. That's horrible. And can I ask, you know, I didn't mean to devalue your experiences of being called the N-word in the 70s by saying that it's still being said now, but it was in the 70s that you were in high school? Like the 80s. What? 80s what yeah. okay i looked up roots quickly i haven't seen the, the tv series we're talking about but i saw that it came out in 1977 that's why i, I assume that was the i've read the book uh okay. and i think they've remade it haven't they remade it more than once wasn't there a modern adaptation on tv Maybe. done by cbc Maybe, yeah. Maybe. um but i didn't see lavar burton and now i really want to um what was high school like for you? Because, I mean, yeah, people called you Toby and you had a fear of being bullied. But what was it really bad in um, the 80s? I, <laughs> were, you, were you one of, you're in St. John, so were there a lot of black people at your high school or was it a primarily white? Well, school? it was primarily white. I mean, I had, I had my close, close black friends um, that were very close to me. Um, but I still, I mean, you have to remember, I wasn't comfortable in my own skin. For sure. You know, so for me growing up and thinking about the things I missed, I, I, I remember I remember one time um, wanting to go to a dance and I wanted to wear a certain outfit. And I questioned and pondered and questioned and pondered on whether or not I should wear that. I was going to be comfortable in the outfit. I knew it probably was going to be a little bit over the top. I didn't end up going to the dance because I knew I didn't want to have to bear the brunt of what was going to come at me, you know? And I think the biggest regret about me going to school and me in, in school is me missing my prom. That That's my biggest regret is missing my prom because everybody loves that time. It but sucks. that's my biggest regret. Wow. Cause I mean, we all know that like, all kids in high school or most kids in high school face these fears and they're apprehensive and they have the anxieties everyone has that but to be uh have the added pressure of being as you mentioned black 
and queer in mm. St. John in the 80s, that's just like double the load on your shoulders. And mm -hmm. like you can't mm -hmm. can imagine what that must have felt like for you. And I didn't know my husband then. He was at a different mm -hmm. high school, you know? Yeah. And we always joke around and say, well, if we had known each other, then maybe we wouldn't be where we are today as, as a couple. But I mean, he's such a tremendous support to me. And I love, I mean, he's the love of my life, you know, but he has, he has things. He's an indigenous man, you know, that still has to bear that cross. And, and I, and I say to him, you know, we each have crosses to bear. And even this morning I was listening to CBC radio talking about the non-activity over the systematic racism report and how nothing has been done in seven months, you know, and how, there's never any, there's never any action. You know, people are always wanting to sit around and make changes, but what are you going to do to make that change? And what timeline and what are you, what, what are you going to implement and how are you like, there's never any discussion around that. And I listened to the indigenous people talk about their stories that they shared and some Nigerians talk about stories that they shared. And now they're coming back wondering, okay, we took the time and shared our stories. What are you going to do with it? It's been seven months. What are you going to do with it? You, yeah. I mean, the can of worms you've opened inside my soul to get the running, yeah, the running hell yeah. coke is that for the last two years, I have been literally screaming about this entire thing, the entire process, how long it took for it to even get started. And all I will say is that I am not surprised that nothing is being done and that people basically had to go through a secondary trauma by reliving their trauma as uh, anecdotes for then Blaine Higgs to do nothing but basically throw it out because 100%. he meddled in the whole process in the first place. Right. I'll say I'm very proud, and I keep saying this, that one of the few recommendations that is being done is implementing Black histories into the curriculum, which Clinton and I got to have a heavy hand and be a part of, and I'm mm -hmm. proud of that. But that was in the works way before. Way before, um, yeah. Way before it was even a, a recommendation. I just think it's so frustrating that... I, I, we knew that this was going to happen. If anything, I think they created all of this to try to get black people to vote and think that they were finally oh, going 100%. to do something. But um, uh, yeah. I think as yeah. us, Hush money. Yeah. yeah, as like Norman and I, as like New Brunswickers and Clinton having lived there long enough, we knew that that was just a ploy. Right. Um, right. So. But yeah. back to you because I could I could make a whole episode. I was going to say, careful now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> make an episode on that alone. This but... whole episode's about to take a ninety degree turn. <laughs> um, no, but back to you. Um, yes, I am yes. curious, and I I'm surprised I didn't ask this before, but because I again I know the story, but going from you know fe feeling fearful and maybe insecure about who you are in this like trying to find an identity, I know that for eighteen years you had a, a company in which you taught you modeling yes. and runway and etiquette yep. and all these different things so how do you go from a place of so so insecure about yourself to you know wanting to uplift youth and continuing to do so as normani which we will get to but how, what how, what transition happened or how did you find that self-esteem in yourself to then be imparting that wisdom onto others so i would say that a lot of that came from my mom uh with wanting me to stand tall with no matter what i was dealing with um, my mom was, as I, as I told you before, my mother ruled with an iron fist, you know, um, she didn't want any of us to do anything, um, that was wrong, but she wanted us to stand up for ourselves. And I was, I was the one that was always on my mother's apron, hanging on her apron. You know, I was there with her 24 seven. Um, and she was the one that instilled in me 
no matter what you are faced with, Norman, you are going to have to go out and face the day. You are going to have to live your life the way you want to, no matter what it is. As long as you are living a good life, go out there and do it. And I, and you know, and I was 19, 20, turning 20, you know, when I decided, you know what, my mom is right. My mom is absolutely right. So I did stand up for myself and I started at that point in time, becoming more interested in fashion and wearing things that I was comfortable in. Despite the bullying and despite what people would say, I still did it. And I still do it today. Um, and I knew by grasping a hold of that part of me, the other things would fall into place. You know, because that's what happens. When you start feeling more comfortable in your own skin, you become stronger with who you are. And that's what happened to me. I started dressing differently. I started speaking differently. I even started involving myself in different things. Um, like, for example, different jobs that I would apply for and that I would get, you know. Um, and they weren't, you know, high corporate jobs, but I always wanted to work um, at a, a store that offered some kind of style of fashion, you know. So I was able to do that. And that helped build up my confidence, being out there and talking to different people every day. And then I realized not everybody has the same mindset, you know? And then I knew in my mind, based on my experience and based on what I knew about fashion and what I knew about modeling, I knew I wanted to go down that road. I knew I wanted to open up my own modeling agency, but I wanted it to be different because one of the things I didn't get in school was support from other places about my confidence, about my queerness, because that wasn't available then. You know, there were no support groups. There was no LGBTQ plus flag flying in schools back in the 80s. There was none of that. So I knew in my mind that I wanted to impact people that wanted to model, that wanted to learn runway. But if they didn't, I wanted to impact them on the level of making sure they felt confident if they were being bullied if they were being picked on, or if they just felt different to be comfortable in their own skin. So it was, it was kind of a win-win because I was sending people away to Toronto and other places to model, but other people were becoming comfortable with themselves and just going out and applying for jobs, you know, going out and facing the day, hanging out with friends, you know, having different conversations. So I did that for 18 years and Many students, many students went through this program and I still see many of the students as I walk down the street today and they come up and they thank me. They thank me for giving them the confidence that they didn't have. But I never had that. So I knew I wanted to give that. You know, when you don't have something, you know what's missing. So you can give that. I think that's such a great answer and it harkens back to what we were talking about when you came to Toronto not that long ago about the idea of how black people always want to build legacy mm -hmm. and how so and I understand double E is a black queer person how we're always looking like you said for what's missing what we didn't have that representation and how we can give back to the community um, and I think that's an amazing work and like I said to you in person I definitely know I had heard about your agency back when I started modeling in like probably what it would have been 2015 that I might've started modeling. Yes. So I definitely yes. had heard of you then, which is so funny that, you know, took this long, but I finally, we are connected. Um, yes. I'm just curious, what are some of the other than like, you know, inspiring, what's some of the other like bigger highlights of the, the 18 years that you spent with that agency having it? I would say that seeing, so every May 
I would take between 80 to 90, maybe even more, but we took a big group of students to New York City that had never been to New York City. And I would organize a photo shoot in Central Park. Even if they didn't want to model, they were gonna have a photo shoot in Central Park. The looks on the faces of the kids, male, female, that were experiencing that, that had never been out of St. John, that had never had that experience to go to New York City. That probably is one of the biggest highlights. I mean, I had, I mean, of course, highlighting, you know, people that were signed with agencies, but I'm talking about the impact with people's lives. All right. I'm talking about how is a brown person or as a queer person or as a person that just might be, you know, different, how they're being able to be, how they're accepted, you know, and how they know they're accepted by going through my program, but also by going to a city where they see people like them, you know, where they see people like them, where they see cultures, different cultures, different fashions. And we did that, you know, and I did that every May. I took a group every May to New York City. And that was probably my biggest highlight. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Getting people out of this, this small province, out of the town that they're from and being having their eyes open to a bigger world. I mean, we can see on TV and on the internet that things are different outside of New Brunswick, but that, that is a great highlight because experiencing the world, traveling, seeing people of different cultures, even going to a city where you're allowed to wear what you want, as you mentioned, right. even that, that is still the case in New Brunswick today. Like yeah. even myself, yeah. there are outfits that I reserve for going to Toronto because I just feel like the, the style and the fashion, I just don't want to get stared at. And they're like, they're, they're normal outfits. They're outfits that would be considered normal <laughs> in Toronto. Uh, but I just, I don't wear them here really because... And isn't that sometimes I do, sometimes I do, but I have to think about it. Like, is this going to be weird for Munston? You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to. No, of course not. Who who says you cannot wear what you are comfortable wearing? And I know I can. It's it's just, you know, but you know repercussions that could possibly come to you. Yeah, I I subconsciously dress a bit more. Conservative. In in line, yeah, yeah, conservative with what people are wearing here. And you fall into into, into place of it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. hmm. So we've spent 20 minutes talking about all of the preliminary stuff, but let's get into Normani. Okay. Let's- yes. Um, tell us uh, how how I know, I know how long have you had been thinking about becoming Normani and getting into drag? Um, some of your inspiration and how how that start came to exist. So I always have been involved in the drag world. Always never d- did drag, but I was always involved in the drag world. Um, and in St. John, we did have drag performers um, back in the early 90s, all right? And I actually paid tribute to one of the performers at my recent show at Area 506 because he was coming and I really wanted to make sure that he knew that he was one of my inspirations because I was watching him and I wanted to do that back in the 90s, but I didn't. So I had been wanting to do this for a long period of time. My very best friend, uh, that lives in Moncton, um, fabulous, he doesn't do drag anymore, did it back in the 90s, um, was a fabulous drag performer of color. He blew my mind. And I watched him and I watched the others, you know, performing. And I designed clothes for my black, my black friend who did drag. And in my mind, I knew one day I was going to do it. I knew one day I was going to do it. I just didn't know when. And you know how 
things happen for you at the right time. They may not happen for you when they're supposed to, but they do happen for you at the right time. It's that whole, that whole model that my mother would say. If it's for you, it will come to you. And drag wasn't for me, for me to perform at that time. However, I knew at the time when I said I was going to do it, it was my time. And it was. And this is what I say to anybody listening. If something that you truly want to do is not happening for you at that time, and you do want to do it, you have a passion, you, you have a love for it, don't think that it's impossible. It's just not the right time. The right time will, the right time will, will present itself to you. And that's what happened to me. The right time presented itself to me. And that's why Normani is as big as Normani is today, because I waited. I waited. And yes, it's hard to wait. And yes, it's, you know, you tell yourself a story. Am I ever going to get to do it? And, you know, am I ever going to get to live my passion and live my dream? You will. Just wait for the right time. That's, that's really inspiring. Story. Yeah, that's really yeah. inspiring. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious because I know that um, being Normani, I, well, you yourself have had a lot of public speaking engagements and then mm -hmm. also doing drag. You've had some public speaking engagements. And I know that we were talking about before the show, I've been waiting to ask for 25 minutes. You mentioned doing a public speaking engagement at the Dorchester Penitentiary. I did. I want to know if it was in drag or not. Okay. And I want to know the reset, like what you spoke about and how it was received. So I, I didn't do it in drag, but I always show them Normani and Norman in my slide presentation because Normani is part of me. Normani is who I am. Normani is a very big piece of who I am, you know, so I cannot. And how would it be that I'm talking and teaching people about self-confidence and self-esteem, being comfortable in your own skin, but I'm not comfortable about talking about Normani. Normani is known, and when people see me, they know that I am Normani. And if they don't know, I tell them. There's very few people that don't know when they meet me, but I tell them. Um, so when I did that presentation for Dorchester, it was very much about Black history, about acceptance, about tolerance, about belonging, and about understanding the struggles that you have as a Black queer person that is different. That is different. You can't get any more different than me. You know, and I can tell you this, the auditorium was full. Oh, wow. It was full. And, you know, I thought, mm, they're probably not going to ask me any questions. They're going to probably just sit there with their arms folded. You know, the resistance. I'm only here because I have to be. But it wasn't that. It wasn't that. They were so welcoming and they asked so many great questions. And I remember one guard who was sitting and listening and he might have been maybe in his 30s. And he was sitting and listening to my presentation. And he came up to me at the very end. And he said, I am leaving this presentation today with things I didn't know. That I thought I knew, but I didn't know. Because a lot of people just assume that the name calling doesn't affect us the way that it does. That not feeling that we belong doesn't affect us the way that it does, but it does. Because when I looked at all of them and I rubbed the color of my skin and I said, I am being called names, I was called names because of the color of my skin. I can't change that. But yet people find it so easily to call derogatory names over something I cannot change. This is how I was born. 
But yet those names hurt me to the core. And there wasn't a, the, what you could have heard a pin drop when I said that, because people would say that names don't hurt them. But guess what? That's why hockey players call those names on ice because they know that they hurt. They hurt, you know, and that's why I'm now in the, with Hockey New Brunswick, you know, and, and helping Hockey New Brunswick educate the players, the coaches and the families, because you can play the game of hockey. You don't have to be disrespectful by calling somebody a, de a derogatory name. There's all kinds of other names you can call. But when you go for the, when you go for the, I say, when you go for the juggler, when you're calling somebody a name over something they cannot change, it's like saying to somebody that is handicapped or somebody that is mentally challenged or, you know, that has mental, mental health issues, you know, calling them out for that. How dare you? How dare you do that? You have no right to do that. But they're listening. Everybody is listening. Everybody is standing up and listening to what I'm saying. And that's the best piece about all of this. I leave knowing that I have changed mindsets because people are listening to understand. They're not listening to react. Because you know when you listen to react, you're going to be like, ah, I don't want to. But when you listen to understand, you walk away with something totally different. Yeah, words are, that's, I don't know who came up with that sticks and stones <laughs> thing, because words can be very hurtful and, and they last a lifetime, right? Right. Uh, you might have gotten in a fight when you were a kid, a kid or young and gotten hurt, but there's things that were said to all of us as children, that those are the things that stick in our head and replay in our right. head and, and paint a self picture about who we are for the rest of our lives. And, and, and especially when it's about things that we cannot change it can right. create a, a huge complex and of course trash talk is always going to be a part of sports but i fully support and agree with the idea that uh, well i'm not sure if that's what you're saying that there should be no trash talk but you shouldn't you don't trash talk about things about other people that, that they can't change Listen, you can trash talk because I, I remember meeting with some police officers and they said norman do you have a list of names that we i said i have a full list of names that you can call that don't that don't start with the n-word that don't start with the c-word Mm -hmm. That don't start with go back to your own country. Yep. Or I, you know, you know, the indigenous derogatory comments. Those are totally unnecessary, unnecessary, and so disrespectful. Yeah. And Truly when I, bad sportsmanship. Yeah. yeah. And when I leave the presentations, it hits them because I'm not soft and I don't candy coat things. You know, I am who I am. When I walk in, I say, let's just. Throw it out on the table. My name is Norman Hector. I'm a queer black man and I'm also a drag queen. Oh, and by the way, I perform for the Sea Dogs in drag. So if you have a problem with that, you probably don't want to sit here and listen to what I'm going to say. But if you, if you don't have a problem with it, then you're going to want to listen to what I have to say. Nobody leaves. How? I love me. I perform for the Sea Dogs. Right, in drag. And I have the clipping of the TSN yes. in my presentation so that they can see. This is what I did in drag for the Sea Dogs at the Memorial Cup. Nobody was offended. Nobody walked away with calling me names. As a matter of fact, it was more cheering when I came out as Normani in my hometown than I had ever, ever experienced in my life. The Sea Dogs are the local St. John team. Correct. Correct. Yes. How did how did that relationship with hockey and be come to fruition? Did they approach you? Well, did they approach you, or did you approach them? So I that is unique and amazing. <laughs> so I didn't approach them; they approached me. Um, once I did, because when I was when I was getting ready to do 
um, my performance as Normani for the Sea Dogs. I wanted to make sure everybody was going to be comfortable. And if they weren't, come to me. Tell me you're not comfortable with something because you know right now in the hockey world, you know, having a pride night, some people want to take part in it. Some people don't want to take part in it. It's against some people's religion. And I respect all of that. I respect all of that. But if it's something that you do not want to take part in, then stay away from it. I'm not going to force what I am doing on anybody. Just stay away from it. So as I was going through the process uh, of getting ready, um, I was asked to do a Sea Dogs game, I think about a year before, is Normani. I did it. Everybody loved it. I met with the Sea Dogs. Um, I, you know, warmed up with the Sea Dogs. And I did that in drag because I wanted them to be comfortable with me, you know, is Normani. So I thought the only way that they're going to be comfortable with me is for me to go warm up with them is Normani. So I did that in drag and they loved it. And mind you, they were playing some good music too, right? Warming up. So I, I did that. Um, that went over so successfully that they asked me to come back again for the Memorial Cup. When I did the Memorial Cup, that's when things changed. That's when Hockey New Brunswick said to me, called me and said, and I have a very good friend who is a lawyer who is very, he was very involved with hockey. Very good friend. And he said, you need to be in front of some of these hockey teams. You need to be talking to these hockey teams because what you say will resonate with them. And I say, yeah, no, hockey's not going to want to do that. I, he said, you need to be in front of these hockey teams. So he invited me to come to a presentation to speak to the coaches, just the coaches all over New Brunswick. And I did. I talked to them and the coaches said, we need him. We need Norman to come in. So I am now starting my second year traveling with Hockey New Brunswick. And my first presentation with Hockey New Brunswick going into this year is in October. And I will continue on every month. Traveling in, throughout New Brunswick, doing presentations for teams, coaches, and players. That's so it's so it's such an incredible story every time that you like tell us or tell me, I guess, about about the hockey thing, because I just never expected it. I like and all of the things that you had shared, I just never expected. But it, it makes so much sense when you describe how important it is and the fact that you talk about not only drag and queerness, but just the, the basics of respect and how important that is. And I think that that's that's huge, especially when, you know, we've shared on our podcast like several times over um then the name calling and racism and disrespect between you know new brunswick players and pei players and and mm -hmm. you know people being um kicked out of games and unable to play because of their poor sportsmanship so i think it's crucial and important for people to hear this and from someone they might not expect to be um you know their their new role model but i think right. that's what you right. become by the time don't get you me wrong it. don't get me wrong i took a lot of bashing in the social media aspect of this okay because mm. I was called every name in the book from people that are keyboard warriors. You don't know who they are. They just like to use profanity when somebody's doing something to try and change people's mindsets in a positive way. And I remember hearing a call um, because I wanted to hear it. I wanted to hear this, this comment. Um, and I won't tell you who sent it to me because they weren't supposed to because I wanted to hear it. Um, and I wanted to hear what this person from Alberta was saying when they read the story about me going into Hockey New Brunswick to help the hockey players understand diversity. And this person that was calling was from Alberta. And well, they put the N word to me. They put the, I mean, it was horrible. 
horrible. And I remember saying to Hockey New Brunswick, I would understand if you didn't want to move in this direction because of the backlash that you're getting. Because it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. And I have to say here today, Hockey New Brunswick did not back down. They did not back down. As a matter of fact, they became even stronger with supporting me and saying, oh, no, 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 no. We are not going to let bullies change what we are. And you know what? Good thing they didn't. Good thing they didn't because now it's escalated into something bigger. I'm now working with in, in conjunction with Hockey Canada, you know, helping them build their RFP and helping them with their training modules. So you see, because Hockey New Brunswick did not back down, more things came from it on a positive note. I mean... Yeah, I don't think you'd be surprised to hear me say and many other people say that that's that's surprising. Like you wouldn't imagine that from the hockey world uh, as we know it traditionally to have that kind of support uh, for you both as a black man <laughs> and a queer person. Like I That know. is enlightening. Like these are these gems that we hear on the show that are, are really beautiful and eye-opening and like, oh, there's hope for the future. Really? Wow. Uh, and especially because you say that the result, of, cor of course, you're always going to get backlash, of course. But uh, you've, you've changed minds. You've opened eyes. You walk away and you say a lot of people in there get it. Um, and then you, have the, then, you have the, then you have the people that come in and say, oh, he's going to go in there and address and change our kids and he's going to make them want to wear dresses and he's going to make them want to dress and drag. Come on. Come on. Let's, I mean, we won't even get into drag story time, okay? Because that's another, that's another topic for another day. But we're not doing that. I'm not doing that. And we don't have the power to do that. I'm not a, a warlock or a witch. I can't put place place spells on people to make them change like come on you know like it's ridiculous so now it's being so widely accepted me in the hockey world that has only it's only gotten bigger what is your main message when you do your public speaking so you, you, you mentioned you start off you you mentioned you lay out the facts who you are or what you do you're drag like, and uh, and that these words hurt um, right. but after that where do you take it from there Respect. My main respect. message is respect. Respect okay. each other. It's not a hard thing to do. Like I know, I know for a fact that we all say that we do respect one another. And I say this to the players and I say this to the coaches and I say this to the families, but do we really, or are we just letting that word roll off our tongue because it sounds so good? Or are we just biting our tongue and being right. tolerant? Right. Right. And when I leave after every presentation, because my presentation usually lasts for about 45 minutes, the last 15 minutes are questions, but we always go over the 15 minutes because I have young players. I have U18 players, U16 players. I have female and male players asking me questions of things that they don't understand. And I always say to them, this is a safe space. If it's in your mind and you want to ask me, ask me, because I have been asked everything. I've heard it all. So ask me, because right now is your time to learn. And they ask. Cool. 
That's incredible. Cool. Um, I want to ask you more about a little bit more about um, Normani and how that's been for you. Cause obviously um, I've, as we've discussed, you are currently the only black drag queen in New mm -hmm. Brunswick. Mm -hmm. um, and we've talked a little bit about what that's been like in the past, but how right now I know from what I've gathered, there's quite a bit of success going on. You've yes. been on demand throughout the summer. You've got yes. stuff coming up in October. So tell us a little bit about how that's been for you um, recently. Yeah, so um, as I said to you, Normani is a very big part of me, um, but I also want to make sure that Normani holds true to what Normani's message is, all right? Because, and, and I want to say this very carefully, okay? I want to make sure that everybody understands. Drag comes in many different forms. Drag performers come in many different forms. We have drag queens, we have drag kings, you know, they all come and they do their own act, and that, I mean, that is their act. And that is something that should never be taken away from them. For me, my message is different. I want people to come and see the entertainment. I want people to come and feel like they're sitting in Vegas watching Diana Ross, watching Whitney Houston, watching Tina Turner, watching Aretha Franklin, watching Celine Dion, watching all of those greats come out and do a number all right, without me having to shake my rump, okay? Because I'm dancing, because I have to dance. But I, I keep it very G-rated, very G-rated. And that's why I feel I'm getting so many bookings for so many different venues. You know, the Algonquin Resort never, ever had a drag show. I was very happy to be the first drag performer, along with my sisters in drag, to go there and perform. You know, they just never would do it. I'm going back again in October for a private for a private conference. So, and like I said to you before, drag comes in many different forms and it can be rated differently depending on the performer and depending on the venue. You might see a drag performer in a bar. They might be saying something that might be a little off colored, might be a little, you know, you know, you know what I'm, you know where I'm going. You know where I'm going. Um, but I don't. I don't. I want every man, woman, child, uncle, aunt, grandparent to sit there and leave feeling refreshed. Leave feeling motivated. Leave feeling like they've just seen something that they'd never seen before and they want to see it again. And that's what's happening. And that's why I believe Normani has taken off, you know, with bookings and with so many different things. Um, I'm a man of a particular age. I'm not going out there shaking my behind um, in ways and gyrating. And that's me. Others may want to do that. And that is totally, totally okay. And that is up, that is up to them. But that is not me. If you're hiring Normani, be prepared. You're not going to get an R-rated show. And I do agree with, I think that that is a lot of the maybe backlash towards drag story time, et cetera, is this idea that at least even from a Toronto perspective, if you're going to see drag, it's more so typically at night in a bar around alcohol. And it is almost always some kind of somewhat sexual performance, whether you're seeing something that is a visualization of something that should be in the bedroom or the song is about that or the outfits or like even if we talk about for example on um i think the most recent winner of all stars jimbo yes. is just inflated uh genitalia and boobs as a costume 
and I saw them on the street for the first time at Toronto, um, Toronto's Pride Parade. And I was like, oh, my word, my God, <laughs> oh my God. But that's also like, it's both part of the problem. It's supposed to be, I think, part of what's supposed to be so fun about it. Mm-hmm. But it definitely makes it taboo and more of a walking yeah. on, I think, eggshells uh, yeah. conversation. And my, um, and, my, and my bookings come from the corporate world. Yes. You know, I have corporate companies booking me because they know that if I'm going to come in, they're going to get really a bigger bang for the buck. They're going to get a show. They're going to get the costumes. They're going to get the music. Mm-hmm. They're going to get the performances. And they're going to get the message. Of course. It's a lot harder to book corporate, just like gyrating boobs and dancing, as opposed to something that comes with a message of respect right. and is G-rated. So I definitely right. get that. <laughs> right. Um, right. I'm cognizant of the time only because I'm the person with the call, not because I don't want to continue this conversation. But I have to ask you the one question that I've been dying to ask you across all, all of the interviews which is, but I'm going to ask it in the most polite way that I can. As an Acadian Black woman, we know that there has been, I would say, a resurgence of acceptance around the Acadian community backing their drag performance with the Acadie Drag Ball, um, integrating drag performances in Acadie Rock during, you know, Kanzu and the Tantamad and, you know, the Acadian Day. And I guess the way I'm going to ask this is, I get the sense that there is not the same backing for Black queer drag as you are currently the only one, and that it is not the same. Not only from the French community, that it has a primarily Black presence because of the influx of immigration, but also, you know, with withstanding Black people that, you know, are several generations deep, potentially living in St. John and other areas. And I think the, maybe the best way to end this is what would you say to people who still have reservations towards Black queerness or this idea that of them coming together or just queerness in general still in this province that sometimes is very archaic in the way that it behaves? So that is probably the best question that you could ask me, Hillary. And you are correct. You are correct with assuming and, 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 and saying that there isn't the same level of support or love or understanding, you know, from the from the black community uh, around black queerness. Um, I wish there was. I do. I really do wish there was um, because there are so many things we could do together um, to help create even more change. Um, so what would I say to um, to my community or to the community as a whole? Um Try and step out and learn about something new. Don't allow fear to be your decision factor. Um, I have accolades of comments and notes from corporate companies, from families, from all over that have taken part in my shows that have sat in the audience and they've left feeling exactly the way that I want them to feel. Imagine as a community what we could do, having me is more of an ally in the black community in using all of the tools that I have to even impact young gay children, young queer children that have questions about their own sexuality and don't know where to go to, or may not be comfortable enough talking to somebody that doesn't look like them. 
So there's so much power in what I do. You need to tap into it. Yeah. And that's what I would say. Thank you. Thank you very much for that per perfect PC. <laughs> Unenraging to the French community answer. Yeah. Um, and yeah. as an Acadian, I, I, I give my thumbs up to the response as well from both sides. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Um, Clinton, anything else? No, no, it's been, uh, it's been insightful. Uh, I, I, we learn from every episode. We learn from every guest we have. I've learned a lot today and uh, it's been really great to meet you and, and hear your story. Well, you know, there's not a day that I don't wake up and don't thank the powers to be above for the opportunities that I've been presented in this life that I'm living because I'm still living in St. John and I'm still doing exactly what I want to do is Norman Hector and is Normani. Who gets to say that? Who gets to say that? Not too many people. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show. I, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours and I do get to every once in a while, which is very <laughs> lovely. I, I get to be spoiled and get to see you when you come visit. Yes. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, if anyone wants to find more about you um, or, or book, who, who should they contact? Where should they reach out? So I am signed with an agency through Halifax and it's called Limelight. Um, so they could reach out to Limelight or they could reach out to me directly. You know, Norman Hector or Normani performer. Um, I'm all over social media. You can punch my name in Google. You'll get all kinds of stuff about Normani and you'll get all kinds of stuff about my drag. So if you are interested in wanting to, to see me or have me come and, you know, take part in something that you have, come talk to me, come talk to me. I would love to um, venture out and do other wonderful things and continue changing mindsets. Amazing. Wonderful. Perfect. Thank you so much for well, taking the time to speak with us today. Go ahead, Clinton. No, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. And to all of our listeners, thank you. This wraps up our 60th episode. Uh, so end of season two of Black Atlantic. I, I, we, if you can imagine what it takes to put out 60 episodes uh, <laughs> with no budget, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, we're going to take about four weeks off and we'll be back. In the meantime, we'll be trying. We, you saw the change from season one to season two. So you'll see the change from season two to season three. Uh, please make sure to subscribe, share with your friends, like, comment, follow all of these things make incremental differences in in helping us get out there uh, and a small and reminder that me. during uh, during our break we'll be at summer salsa in fredericton so while we will not be making podcast content make sure you follow on our socials we will be yeah. there doing work we'll be there for the three days come find us come talk to us we'll be in the streets i'll be in fredericton i don't think i've been into fredericton in a decade so uh maybe be someone show me around a little bit <laughs> in these Perfect. streets thank you thank you so much Norman. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Play it out. Oh. Okay. <laughs>